To East Africans and the Chadian, it's a new podcast. Myself, Eric Mwinemugaj, Kwame Otiende and Daga Mudwe, the Chadian. It's interesting. What do you think is going to happen to him? Because, you know, I've heard that he's complaining in jail, that he's not having great time in jail. He should have invested. <laughs> he should have invested <laughs> in comfortable that, jails. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> if our yeah. leaders, like, uh, yeah, by the time they are in power, yeah. they don't think of those reports from Amnesty exactly. and uh, those international uh, human rights organizations. But they also complain. I had Charles Taylor complained about the food in jail in England somewhere. He wanted to be returned in a jail in Africa. So, I mean, what's the. He, he actually tried to be sent to Rwanda, wasn't it? <laughs> Was it? Yeah. He preferred Rwanda over England, which is good. It shows that, um, as opposed to what many people think, not everyone wants to come to Europe. You know, some people, <laughs> some people prefer to go back to Africa. It's 2020. It's a new year. It's a new decade. Today we discuss a few events across the continent over the last year, from Sudan, Zimbabwe, Algeria, Burkina Faso, Niger, and of course Chad. First of all, guys, how did we come up with this podcast, Why to East Africans and One Chadian? Well, I mean, um, I think we normally spend a lot of time talking about politics and uh, other sort of uh, politically inclined issues. And uh, yeah, it would be interesting to also have someone who will talk about things outside East Africa. So hopefully that's what Dada will do. The only Chadian. How do you feel <laughs> being the only one in London? In a Jesuit <laughs> zone, right? <laughs> yeah, so I, um, I think the, uh, usually when we start talking, he would, when he met at the bar. Remember we met first at the bar, right? Yeah. And so it was like we were talking politics. and. I think that this is a good opportunity for us just to try to broaden uh, our perspective on uh, other areas in Africa. Sure, it's not going to be just politics. It was, for example, a very good sporting year on the African continent. Kipchoge of Kenya broke a marathon record, running 26 miles inside two hours. Algeria won the African Cup of Nations. What about Arvin Zakata? a Zimbabwean nurse who traveled 10,000 kilometers by road from Cape Town to Cairo to watch the African Cup of Nations final. I think we should perhaps all have such determination of this guy. And of course, South Africa won Rugby World Cup, as some people claimed. Was it a unifying moment? Well, I mean, I don't think rugby is supposed to write all the, you know, all the issues that are going on in South Africa. Um, like many sports, you'll find that there are some sports that um, are still quite elite. So I think um, football is for the masses, and then rugby has always been that sport that is for, you know, the better off. But still, if you have to come back to that rugby, uh, that's again one of your Southern African <laughs> issues, right? Like in Central Africa and those part of Africa, you don't play rugby so much. So you more <laughs> actually, yeah. yeah so it's more about football. And uh, you know the next African Cup, what um, Cup of Nations is now happening in Central Africa, in Cameroon, right? So that's a close neighbor, to, uh, close place to Chad, and I mean it will be a good, a big moment of joy for Africans, and yeah, so that's my view on it. 
Let's hope that Cameroon will not be divided alongside the colonial lines of the so-called Anglophones and Francophones. And perhaps President Bia follows the likes of Mugabe and Sudan's Bashir who were deposed by the military after popular uprising. And amazingly, some didn't see those as coup d'etats. But going back to Mugabe, he died in Singapore a year after he was deposed. He was seen as a dictator when he was alive and a hero after death. Why do Africans honor the dead more than the living? Before, before we even start talking about <laughs> yeah. him, him dying, I think this is a good reason why African leaders should not leave leadership. Look, as soon as you leave, you're going to die. So if, if there was any, <laughs> any argument for staying forever in power, you know, now Museveni knows as soon as he leaves, he's probably going to die. So you should just stay there, man. You think so? Don't leave, yes. Yeah. Stay. Uh, how long has Dabi been in power in Chad? <laughs> I think this guy has been since 90. Yeah, right? so since 1990. Yeah. So you're talking about 30 years. 20, 29. Yeah, almost, yeah. So almost 30 years. To come back to that idea of death, I think we celebrate deaths in our... More than we actually celebrate yeah, like the Just think of it, like when someone is sick, yeah. for example, yeah. you are sick, you are in the hospital, no one is going to collect money to mm. save you. Mm. But yeah. then when you die, yeah. everyone is shipping in money yes. for yes. your funerals. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> that's, that's an idea of how yeah. we think of what is death. Mm. So we don't think of death as the end of life, but it's like a Celebration transition. Of yeah. life. So it's interesting, but uh, yeah, so what do you think of, uh, I mean, it's been a year now, and last year was a, a year of where we thought that Zimbabwe is on a turn of a change. Has anything changed since Mugabe came out of power or when he died? Has anything changed? I don't know. I mean, I've seen, uh, there's not too long ago, there was um, some protests. Uh, but then, I mean, if anyone thought that the man that had been in the Zimbabwean army for all those years is going to come and take over after Mugabe and things will change, that was probably very silly of them. You know, anyone surely would, wouldn't have expected any change. These are people that have been in ZANU-PF from independence. So Munangagwa now and everyone else under him are part of the system. So why would the system change? Um, isn't it like in Algeria as well? Yes. Right? You have those regimes in Africa. Um, first of we have to ask ourselves, why are they uh, keeping power for so long? Mm -hmm. right? They are staying on power for so long. Isn't that because um, they just want it or because they are loved by the people? It's because they control an army. And beyond controlling an army, they also have the bureaucracy, right? So by the time you remove the head of the system, you're not, you're not cutting the roots of the problem, mm. right? So you can just replace Abdelaziz Bouteflika in Algeria with someone else, but you're not cutting the grassroots. But what is interesting here is in Algeria, there is, they are getting young people, young soldiers, and developing them into keeping the system working, mm. like to be royal and everything, young leaders, because they are realizing that mm. young people are following young leaders. And mm. this trend, I also see it in other countries. I don't know, uh, like for example, in Uganda, there's young generals now that, you know, coming up. And do you think that the time for the old guys is up? Because let's talk about another event, for example, in, uh, in, in Sudan. Mm. We knew that but I mean, Bashir the time, was what do you mean? The, the, yeah, but still, it's still the same thing. Bashir is gone, but the guy who's running um, 
Sudan at the moment, the guy with the actual power is a guy that used to run the Janjaweed. And this guy, he's been there forever. I mean, he this is he Chadian or Sudanese? Because some people say he was born in Chad, uh, somewhere along the border, and his family is from Chad, and he moved to Sudan. Is it an accusation that he held with all those regimes, like when people don't like him? Yeah, they say he's not from here; he's from somewhere else. Yeah, but I mean, this guy, this guy was propped up by by um, Bashir. Bashir gave him all the power. He used to run the intelligence. He was uh, Bashir's muscle. Mm. Bashir created an army outside the army with this guy at the head. Yeah. And the same guy came and removed him. So for you to say young people are taking over, no, well, I mean, young in terms of age, but it's still the same system. It's not really anything different. It's interesting. What do you think is going to happen to him? Because, you know, I've heard that he's complaining in jail. He's not having great time in jail. He should have invested. <laughs> he should have invested exactly. in comfortable uh, jails. Yeah, that's the problem. If our leaders, like, uh, yeah, by the time they're in power, yeah. they don't think of those reports from exactly. Amnesty and uh, those international uh, human rights organizations. So the thing is, like, um, uh, they're coming after them they, uh, when, they wrote, when they write these reports. But actually, when they are kicked out of power, they find themselves in those situations in those jails mm. that have been uh, mm. criticized or, or perhaps yeah. they should uh, perhaps they should create um, commit uh, more serious crimes and end up at the ICC exactly so that they uh, can end up in a, in a nice jail in England yes that's oh. a good retirement plan Could, why not commit, commit, but they also complain I had Charles Taylor complained about the food in jail in England somewhere. He wanted to be returned in a jail in Africa. So, I mean, what's the... He, he actually tried to be sent to Rwanda, wasn't it? <laughs> Was it? Yeah. He preferred Rwanda over England, which is good. It shows that, um, as opposed to what many people think, not everyone wants to come to Europe. You know? some, people, <laughs> some people prefer to go back to Africa. And talking of the ICC, yeah. we didn't mention it, but you remember Laurent Bergot, mm. he was mm. released. Oh, he's not released, but yeah. he's not a definite release, but he's now, how do you call it in English, under surveillance? Is mm. it under like, surveillance, mm. yeah. so they have tagged him. Yeah, so, ah. but he's no more in jail, mm. like his case was almost overturned, yeah. and now he's almost a free man, but he cannot do, he's not a free man, but almost, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think all these people that were jailed by ICC should be released. I think ICC is a useless institution. It's, it's just a waste of time. And I mean, are you saying that they should be released? I mean, they might have committed crimes. No, well, well, if they committed crimes, then if the AU can't step up and find ways of um, having a court of justice that can try African leadership, then it's a waste of time taking them to the ICC because... The case of Kenyatta and Ruto is a very good case in point, this Kenyan case. You know, they, ICC completely botched up the whole exercise. Do you think the ICC botched up the exercise because African leaders also benefited from indictments? What do you think, Mr. Daga? Right. If you think of it, uh, it's become like a way of uh, disposing of opponents. Right? If you think of uh, the DRC, why did uh, Joseph? Um, why did Joseph Desire Kabila send um, what his name again? Yeah, Bemba. When did he? Why did he send Bemba to to the Hay? To the Hay, yeah. because so he, he wanted to get rid of an opponent. Mm. The same thing with Watara in Ivory Coast. Yeah. Why did he decide to send um, um, yeah Bagbo to the Hay? 
because he wanted to get rid of uh, an opponent. So in the end, it's just like um, a tool that the African leader, the winners are actually, or at least those who are in power, using to get rid of their opponents. Yeah, but uh, they're not, okay, they're getting rid of them. Uh, you know, we, ha we, are to we talked briefly about, um, we talked briefly about Bashir, but there is a point that they are getting rid by popular uprising. and people are talking too much about the youth. Um, what, what about the youth? Like, for example, the rise of uh, uh, Ugandan uh, Bobby, Bobby Wine, who used to be a musician, mm. uh, they are saying that he's, uh, going, he has actually declared that he's going to take on Museveni, who's been in power for 32 years. I mean... Um, How many African countries have the youth actually taken over? Do we know? Not so many. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... Yeah. These, these are things that we've seen many times, the youth. I mean, ideally we'd like them to take over, but in reality we know that it's not that simple. It's not yeah. that simple. You know, there's a thing, yeah. And, and especially like in Uganda, I think Museveni has placed himself in a place where he's indispensable now. He's, he's planned 20, 30 years in advance. And I think what um, Bobby Wine is trying, as much as I support what he's doing, this popular uprising. I think the time for popular uprisings are pretty much, especially in that part of Africa. I think North Africa have something very different where they can do such things. But I think East Africa, South Africa, a popular uprising led by the youth, I don't maybe, see how far it can let's, go. Let's be honest. I mean, we're calling them youth, but when Museveni came to power, he wasn't that old. And in fact, I mean, is it the youth or is it the system? Uh, let me mention three of them. Uh, if I mention Museveni was a very young man, Kagame, when he helped Uganda, uh, Uganda's Museveni to come to power, he was only 27. Mm. So, uh, I mean, is Bobby Wine thing new? Because they like came and they said... Actually, yeah, like all of the African leaders, it wasn't just even in Chad. Debbie, he took power when he was only 30. He's now, the, you're saying he spent like 30 years in power. Yeah. How old is he? He's less than 670. Yeah. So you mean he took power when he was like 35 or something? So we, right? should we just think? Mm, okay. No, but the point is, uh, those people, they took power young because think of the time. Exactly. They lead. They were the leads. They were part of the lead. They educated, yeah. Yeah. right? So yeah. it, we didn't have so many people educated at yeah. that time. Yeah. Right? So obviously they were part of the leads and uh, it was easy for them to capture power, right? But nowadays, think of it. Uh, we, we start talking about uh, Algeria, and uh, Zimbabwe, because we think those countries are run by systems. They are not run by individuals, right? Mm -hmm. So it means if you want to take on the system, it's not just about the popularity of an individual. Yeah. You can have Bobby Wine, but how much can he convince, how many uh, generals can he convince to turn their back to Museveni and support him, right? So you cannot run, uh, you cannot just come and claim your popularity with people. Like even political parties, like even the opponents, the real opponents that are there, they have real parties that have been... Uh, but, uh, Bobby Wine doesn't actually have a party. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like even real opponents, they have parties, they have political parties that have a grassroots structures. But now you're asking this guy without any grassroots uh, structure, mm. without any um, support from the military, to come and take over just because he's popular, 
right? But shouldn't the military be out of politics? Because their role is actually to uh, to uh, to to protect the well, city. Should should, yeah. but they are not. So that's the point. So, so like, I mean, uh, whether they are or not, that doesn't really if matter. You're looking does for it? change. I mean, it's all about privileges and oppression. Like that's not the way of seeing politics in global, right? Like yeah. you don't have to be Marxist to think like. Uh, is always a Manichaean world where you have the privileged trying to keep the power yeah. and the oppressed trying to overturn the system. Right? So why are they? Why are so many generals actually doing politics in Africa? Just because they have been involved in those uh, prebends, right? Is it preben? I'm speaking French. Is it? <laughs> they, they've been uh, those privileges coming mm, out of their mm. pre position, mm, right? Mm. So they've been taking. They have been taking. Um, Profit of those privileges, yeah, yeah. and you just want them to, to give them up. Like uh, Kwame was mentioning Manangawa, yeah. so he, he didn't take over because uh, he, he presented an alternative to, to Mugabe, yeah. but because there was a fight inside the army, yeah. and he turned out to be the winner of yeah. that fight, simply. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting point of view. But I, I just like you, you mentioned Zimbabwe, uh, Manangawa, and Chamisa is a very young guy. Mm. He miserably lost. Mm. Why do young people don't vote for young people? That's interesting. Yeah. Why, why well, is this? He, he lost. Young people don't vote for young people. Women don't vote for women. That's it. That's yeah. it. That's that's our politics. Youth is not the political yeah. agenda. Exactly. So you know, again, those kind of thinkings are being. I think it's coming from the West. It's not even from mm. Africa. Yeah. Mm. Like when you from the West, you don't read. Uh, never, someone would never say um, Jeremy Colvin is too old to do politics. Yeah. But when you go to Africa, they will yeah. say, yeah, this guy is too old for politics. But it's all about a, po a political agenda should be about w the ideas that you're trying to sell. Yeah. It shouldn't be about your age, right? So you can be a young guy. Actually, age matters. Why? Why would it matter if if you are like if you think of a structure, if you think of politics as yeah. a structure? So it means like people making up. You are just the. The leader is just the one defending or selling those ideas. But the one making up those ideas, the age doesn't matter, mm -hmm. right? What matters is how they can come yeah. together and build a solid... And I, and I think that other things that actually talk age in a lot of African politics. So if we were to go to Kenya, for example, we'd say ethnicity tops age. You know, you could be a young person of the wrong ethnic <coughs> group and then that's it. People wouldn't look at you being young first. They'll look at what group you are first, and then they'll look at your age. Being young in itself, I don't think it's that big of a deal in African politics. I think the major divide in African yeah. politics is about rural versus um, urban. Yeah, urban, yeah. Yeah. Like, you can have those people, like the young, actually. What is making uh, the popularity of those guys? Yeah. Because they are using the social media, right? So uh, they are on the social media. They are appealing to... A fringe um, of that population, but think again of it. Like, if I take the case of Chad, for example, eighty percent, or I won't say eighty, is like more than half is actually living in rural areas. Mm. They don't have access to social media, right? But then, if you have someone who's popular on the social media, he cannot win an election, obviously, because his electorate may just be those part. It's a closed group. Exactly. Yeah, it's a closed group. So why, why are those people popular? They're not popular because they're selling ideas. They're popular because they are talking to a generation of Africans. So what you guys are saying is that having a big following on social media 
being young or a female does not necessarily win you an election in Africa. We had a lot of, um, uh, we had a number of female governors appointed. But if you look at how they're running the counties as opposed to male governors, it's the same thing. They're as corrupt as the male. If you look at our young MPs in Kenya now, they're as corrupt as the old ones. So I don't think you should draw this comparison of youth means a complete different way of thinking, you know? Unless we're looking at people who have been activists for a long time and we're sure that when they come in, everything will completely change. It's just a continuation of the same thing. Exactly. To add on that point of saying that these questions of gender and youth are just a push, agendas pushed by <coughs> the neoliberal policies, yeah. you'll see that actually in many cases they just want representation of those minor what they think are minorities in politics. Right? Yeah. Even if in real in the real society they may represent big chunks of the population, but in politics they are minorities. Right, yeah. So they want them to be represented. So they will jump on those um, neoliberal ideas to get those representations. But think what's happening. They've taken in people with no experience, actually. So if you want more women, why are those people getting old in power? Because they've been building experience, right? Mm. If Corbyn, experience of staying in power. No, not just yeah. staying in power. Yeah. Even like, um, they've been building experience of getting involved in well, the daily politics of the country. So that's what makes a difference, right? So we should mm. give the... Okay, let's just talk about uh, what's your projections. What, what you know, and you know, we've talked about all that happened. We didn't talk about everything. I think it's just more of the old. I'm not very optimistic. I just think it's more of the old. And you can believe it, but now the war on terror is happening in Mali, but Burkina Faso is one of the country most hit. So, guess a country like Chad is getting involved in those fight, but we don't have those high. Uh, numbers of uh, casualties as a result of uh, terrorism. So I think uh, that's a country we should be looking at. Like uh, it can turn into the next Mali or the next Libya. Ah, oh, that's not to be. Yeah, well, we'll yeah, get yeah, yeah. I, I think they are on the wrong s slope. Mm. Yeah, they are. On but the can you win? Can you win a war, Kwame? Can you? Can anyone win a war? No, I don't think you can win a war. And I think that um, the biggest problem with countries with, with very open borders, you know, that area with Burkina Faso, Mali, Chad, I mean, you know, you start fighting, you know, the fight can be brought to Burkina Faso, it can move to Mali, it can move to Chad, and you're fighting one group. So it's as a war, I don't think, in fact, I don't think there's any any war in the last since the Second World War that has conclusively been finished where you can say you there know, was an outright winner. Those days, country will declare war on another country yeah. and if you lose, you sign and mm. admit that you've lost. Exactly. So this can't be fun. I mean, exactly. the future of war on terror... I mean, we change the way you're waging war. Mm. So you're not waging war to kill the opponent. Mm. You're waging war to win hearts and yeah. to win minds, mm. right? So if you want to end terrorism, yeah. it's not by killing the terrorists. It's by winning the hearts of those who believe that they are being oppressed. So like Kwame was saying, yeah. if, a, if a problem starts with legitimate grievances yeah. because one part of the country feels like they have been discriminated against, then the solution is not about killing those who have taken weapons against the state. It's all about how you make them come back to good feelings.
about the living together as a community isn't it so the war shouldn't be like if you want to win a war it shouldn't be like displaying uh, your weaponry and yeah. killing your opponent but it should be like how can you win those hearts that have been broken by your policy in fact actually you're talking about the displaying weaponry and everything and those things were done in the cold war and not many shots were shot this is all we have for you this week in our next episode I think if I have to debate on that point, it shouldn't yeah. be just about monetary aspect of uh, the safer, because I think money isn't just a currency isn't just about the, the monetary value of it. It also has the social um, values. So if you think of it, I, I tend to think of it like a flag. A currency yeah. is like a flag. It's like the national anthem. It's like the map, right? So it creates uh, a collective imaginary. It creates a free feeling. In Niger, they are changing the national anthem. What's, what's the point of the national anthem? I, don't, I, I didn't even know this. Why are they changing the national anthem? I, I think it, they are complaining that it was written by a Frenchman. Uh-huh. It wasn't just written by a Frenchman, <laughs> but yeah. it's also because some of the lyrics <laughs> mm. yeah. were like saying, thank you, friends, for granting us. <laughs> 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 okay. so. 2020. It's yet another year of general elections in Africa, so Maria could see its first universal suffrage for the first time in 50 years. Ethiopia and Tanzania will all be going to the poll. Burundi's ruling party and Nkuruziza is yet to nominate a candidate. Can Nkuruziza be trusted to go quietly? In Ivory Coast, President Ouattara is going after the former Prime Minister, now a challenger, Mr. Soro. Why do elections in most African countries end up being contested in courts? Yeah, I think what most African countries need to reach is what is called a political settlement, where the uh, elite decide how they're going to share power. They decide what sort of respect, what boundaries are there. So, for example, what you have in Kenya, where the government, no matter how much they don't like the head of the opposition, you never see them beating him up, <laughs> as, as we see in Uganda. Where when I think of elections, I think it depends on which, what are your goals, what, what's the target when you think of elections? Is it like overthrowing a system, or is it like a learning journey, right? So, so now in many countries, you don't, you don't want to be sitting there and expecting the result from the official body. Uh, of government, you have those civil society organizations collecting the result, like wh- what you've seen in the DRC, for yeah, example. Yeah. The, uh, the church, uh, the Catholic Church, they have a different result. They compile the result even before the CENI, the Electoral Commission. Yeah. Right. So it means to come to that level where you can have alternative ways of counting yeah. the results and monitoring the elections is what you should also count as a victory. So elections shouldn't just be like who is the winner but it should be like, what are we learning from it? More in details on the 30th of January from myself, Eric Mwinemugaj, Kwame Otiende and Daga Mudue, the Chadian. We thank you again for listening.